WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell a story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today. At least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshfield guys, yes, no? Correct, yeah. That's right. There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now. That's you. It's me. I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Oh, I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie Becky. You ready? i got to tell you that uh, it was really nice to hear Aerosmith on the intro there. You're going to be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that, but... We have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming Tsai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are indeed tuned into Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD, coming to you live from Broadcast House here in Marshfields. My name is Kevin Tachi. We will do our best to give you an abbreviated program. Uh, we'll kick things off right after traffic. As uh, we're speaking, we're going to speak with uh, Rayla Campbell. Rayla is a Republican. She's a candidate for Secretary of State. We'll get our opportunity to chat with her about why she's running for office, how the campaign trail has been, and knowing, I think as of tomorrow, we have two weeks, two weeks until the big day. It's hard to believe. George, what do you think? It's approaching. <laughs> it's down to the wire. Every vote counts. It is It is approaching. Early voting started this weekend. Those who have had a chance to do so. I, I received my mail-in vote uh, recently, so I might do it in person, though. I like doing it in person. That's George. George, uh, who is uh, the uh, stellar producer behind the microphone and the, the buttons and the board as he oversees operations and making sure the uh, timely gets us into our stop set, out of our stop set and onto the next conversation, whether it's uh, this program or other programs that he does uh, throughout the week. Uh, much appreciation to you, and I'm glad that you're voting and you're, you're looking forward to it. Just doing my civic duty, Kevin, and um, always happy to do it, get my voice heard. So, and that's what's important, is, is having having your voice heard. There are many, many races mm-hmm. I actually had somebody ask me today what I thought was probably, what was the exciting race? Is there an exciting race that you're following? And there's some who might say they feel that some of the constitutional races, like governor, might be kind of a foregone conclusion. Some feel that maybe maybe the exciting race might be for auditor. Maybe it might be for attorney general. Uh, I think the races here on the South Shore, there's some, some really good races here in the South Shore, and it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out, knowing how hard a lot of folks have worked, whether they're doing standouts or they're, they're calling people and door knocking, and it's, it's fantastic. And, and, you know, sadly, it's, it becomes a very quiet day on November 9th. There are some who have won. There are some who missed it by that much, and we start the whole cycle and the whole process all over again. So after Rayla, we are going to speak with a, an author. His name is Dr. Jay Baruch, and he is the author of Tornado 
of Life. Now, first thing you think of is, oh, my God, it's a book about natural disasters. No, it isn't. The rest of that title is A Doctor's Journey Through Constraints and Creativity in the ER. And so we, we're going to get a, a point of view right from the individual a doctor who works in the emergency room and uh, will give us his insight pre-COVID, during COVID, what it's like to be working in the emergency room. Are there constraints? Is enough being done when it comes to the folks who in, in the medical field? We know that we've heard stories about how you know, maybe folks are leaving the medical field after the strain that was put on many of our uh, hospitals and um, places that provided health care. Folks going, uh, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. We've seen that with a lot of different trades. And um, now nowadays it's interesting. Folks, it's hard. There was a time when you couldn't find good jobs. Now it's hard to find good employees or find folks who want to work in certain fields and trades. So we will speak with uh, Dr. Jay Baruch. That's coming up in just a couple of moments. I love this time of year. Rustling leaves, a crisp wind blowing, apple picking for homemade apple pie, a sunny day in a corn maze, a bonfire on a cool night. (sighs) Cigars. And a half gallon of hot apple cider. Apple pie. We made it ourselves. This has nothing to do with Brennan's Smoke Shop, but everything to do with life. It's short, yet so sweet. Kind of like pumpkin spice coffee. It comes and goes like autumn wind. Brennan's Smoke Shop. Plymouth, Pembroke, Brockton, Wareham, Raynham, Taunton, Stoughton, New Bedford, Weymouth, Hudson, New Hampshire. Brennan's Smoke Shop, the very best smoke shop in Massachusetts. Customers must have a valid state or federal ID to enter the store. Message me on Facebook. Be a part of the show. Call in and join in on the conversation. 781-837-4900. Now, back to Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. We return. Our first guest uh, is not only uh, a candidate for office, but she's a well-known radio host. (laughs) She has her own radio show. But she doesn't want to tell you so much about that today. She wants to tell you a little bit about why you should pick her name come November 8th when you go in, or unless you're early voting. Like we were talking earlier, early voting began uh, this weekend. We have Rayla Campbell. She is a Republican who is uh, hoping that you'll vote for her. Secretary of State. Welcome to the radio program. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's a pleasure and honor to be on again with you. So let's, for folks who don't remember who you are, or maybe they need a refresher, tell us a little bit about Rayla Campbell. Yes, well, you know, I'm born in Boston, raised in Situate. I am running for Secretary of State. I have made history this year four times, and we'll get into that in a second. Mm-hmm. But I'm just an everyday, hardworking patriot. 
a hardworking mom that saw what was happening to my country and saw what they were trying to push on my children. I have three mixed children growing up in low-income and Section 8 housing in Situate, Mass., the Irish Riviera. I did not see skin color. All I see is red, white, and blue. So for me, these policies that we saw in school and what they were pushing on our children really got me frustrated. And I'm like, why don't we have any Republicans running? My husband and I literally thought we were the only two Republicans in the state. And I decided to get involved and to run. So in 2020, I ran against Diana Presley for Congress. And that was during COVID. And that was a very difficult time because there was no door knocking. So everything was online. So starting from absolutely nothing, trying to get digital signatures in District 7 where there's no Republicans at all. There's probably about 500 of us. It's really tough. So... I managed to get over a thousand, which was the requirement. I got twelve hundred, wow. but the Secretary of State's office violated my constitutional rights and broke the current standard law that we had with COVID having the number being cut in half and told me that I had to get the pre COVID standard of two thousand signatures in order to qualify for the ballot. And I was like, that is a clear and direct violation of my rights. This is a constitutional officer that will violate my constitutional rights. How many other rights has he violated in the past of other people? So it's time to challenge him. He's been the gatekeeper. It's time to take him out. I'm strong enough to do this. I'm very strong and confident in my state and that we can have free and fair elections if they are done properly with integrity and believability. That's why people don't get out and vote because of things like what happened to me that have happened to so many other people. So I, I would add, so basically that's your prime reason for, for running. What do you feel are some of the other key issues in the race that folks need to know? Well, main thing right now is what we see going on in our schools and the lack of transparency when we're looking into FOIA requests. So a lot of people don't understand that when you get shut down at your and local if people level, don't know what that acronym is, what it's is it? It's the Freedom of Information Act. And if you're shut down at your local level, you can appeal to the Secretary of State's office. And as long as it's not breaking any laws or violating any rights, that information is there for the public. If they don't have anything to hide, why are they making it so difficult? And forgive me, but I... Pretty sure it costs absolutely zero dollars to send an email, yet you have towns charging parents and other uh, entities that are trying to find information that are requesting for your request over forty two thousand dollars which is completely illegal and the dates that how long they have to get it back to us so i myself have FOIA request in and have been waiting and have been getting a lot of pushback and this is what people need to know what's going on in our government it is we the people not the government that wants to allow us what they want us to see we need transparency accountability and like i said we need people that will stand up and protect the constitution especially here in Massachusetts, where it all began. So what would you change in regards to if someone wanted a wanted information, what policy changes would you seek to make uh, in regards to the Secretary of State's office? Well, I want to know why right now they aren't upholding the laws that are in place and why it's taking longer than 10 days. Is what, so what's the, what's the normal answers that you've been receiving? 
I haven't gotten any. Oh. <laughs> That's, that is a big problem that we have throughout the state. It's you get crickets. You get crickets. And I've actually been on a chain of requests for information that one of my supporters has been sending over and over and over and over again. And they removed me from it and still didn't respond to him. So I'm sitting here and I'm going, wow, they're trying to block information because they don't want people to know what's going on. That's why you need common sense, everyday, hardworking Americans and not these career politicians that want to be in complete control. We fought a war so that we are not subjects. We are citizens. And it's time for the citizens to reassert their rights and to take back our country. And that's what we're going to do. We, we had talked about, uh, I had teased early voting. What's your stance on early voting? Do you think it's something that is well-received or do you feel that it could be rife with problems? I definitely believe that there are problems and I have actually heard problems throughout the state and throughout my, tra- my travels around. And look at what we had happen in Barnstable on primary day. Mm. That in itself was just like, are you kidding me? Yes. And how does that happen? happen? (laughs) I do it every day, but on this day, I can't get in. But, it's interesting. And funny thing is, it happens to be a Democrat state rep's brother who has the keys to the vault, who is the town manager. So why did they have to get him from Boston? Information that people don't know. That, again, was found out through a FOIA request. These are things that people need to understand. Why are they trying to skew numbers? Because we have so many Republicans and strong candidates out there running, they are afraid they're going to lose their power and their control. But when we're looking at early voting and we're looking at versus absentee, absentee has checks and balances. Early voting does not. Once that ballot leaves your hand and you drop it into the mailbox, you have lost chain of custody. And you don't know whether that ballot has made it to the Postal Service in time or because it's got all of your information on there, which maybe people don't realize, but it's got your full name, your party affiliation, your date of birth on the outside of that form. That is ripe for fraud. And then also the the ballots that are going out and that are coming back with return addresses. Or how about us that are getting ballots that haven't requested them? We should be voting in person. And if you can't vote in person, that's why we have absentee ballots. And there's checks and balances in the, in place for that. But early voting with unchecked, there it's unconstitutional, and we're losing chain of custody. And like what we saw happen earlier in Lowell, they actually tried to pry into a ballot box that was outside and damaged the box. That's concerning. We need to be voting in person. We need to be voting by paper, showing ID and hand counting the ballots. So I think what you've identified is that it seems as though the system is broken. Yes. Okay, well, how do we fix it? We can easily fix it by counting the ballots by hand. It is not a hard process. So They do that in Plimpton. I was, one, of, one of my early days when, when we were doing an election and they had to hand count in Plimpton, I think I was there until about 1 o'clock in the morning because they had pairs. They were counting. One of the few yeah. that still hand counts. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are, you know, I've sat through a recount, but look at what these clerks do when we're actually going through the process of collecting signatures to get on the ballot. Now, they're checking everybody's name and address and verifying what party they're in, if you're party specific, and making sure that they are actually 
allowed to sign that paper for you to get on the ballot, but you can't count a bubble? That is so much more work that they have to do than counting a bubble. That is an easy process. I've actually sat through a recount where each person has their section where they're counting, and you have poll watchers. That's why it's important to have poll watchers and to sit there and do it. We can do it. It is a simple process. And machines have flaws, especially anything that is hooked up to the Internet. When you're hooked up to the Internet, you're subject to being hacked. You're subject to being having any type of information stolen. That is not a safe and secure election. And as we see in third world countries, they hand count them and they show ID. We can do it here in America. If you're just tuning in, we have Rayla Campbell. She is a candidate, a Republican candidate, Secretary of State. She is our guest, our first guest of an abbreviated uh, radio program as we have a political forum coming up at the top of the hour. The two candidates running for Plymouth County District Attorney. As well, we have we have uh, Tim Cruz, the incumbent, and Rasan Hall, the uh, challenger. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Um, what changes would you like, would you consider making to the Secretary of State's office? Are there things that need to be modified or, or that need to be updated? Yes, absolutely. The website is one that <laughs> needs really? a complete overhaul. It is very difficult to find information. It needs to be streamlined and brought into the, the now. Everything is right there at your hands and easy and accessible. I've seen so many other Secretary of State websites throughout the country where you're looking at it and you're like, wow, you know, our website is so much more difficult to actually see what's going on in it. And then also making sure we're cleaning up the voter rolls. That is number one. We have got to purge these voter rolls we've got to clean them up and we've got to make automatic death register when soon as somebody dies make that system in place it's right there so that they're automatically uploaded and they're removed from the voting rolls that i don't know why that's not in place right now and we see over uh, the past audits in different states that yes it has been shown that people that are no longer alive have cats at the ballot so you had uh, discussed earlier or mentioned earlier your first campaign running for, for Congress and enduring it through COVID. How is this different? This is when you're really out there, people are frustrated. People do not like to be locked down, having their businesses shut down, and you're looking at the policies that are put in place, and they can't get that information. Our history being destroyed, the lack of learning civics and understanding how important it is to be involved in everyday politics politics that affect your life locally, directly in your neighborhood, in your town. So going out there and explaining and re-educating people is kind of what we've we've been doing on the campaign trails but honoring our history and knowing that this is where it all began and we started with the mayflower compact which was the first constitution followed by massachusetts constitution and then came our national constitution so making sure that people understand how important it is to make sure that your voice is heard in government and that they're working for us, not we're sitting there allowing them to dictate our lives. I was put here by the Lord Jesus to make sure that I stand up and I speak for the people that have for so long have not had that strength and that drive to get out there and to fight City Hall. We can do it. 
So there's, as of tomorrow, two weeks until the big day. What, what is Rayla Campbell going to do? For, what are the next two weeks like for you? Have you already plotted out, you know, the, the different spots that you'll be all over the Commonwealth to get the word out about your campaign? I am everywhere, so yes, the next two weeks are you very been cloned, busy. Have you? <laughs> and no, <laughs> and it is a lot in one day. I mean, we will crisscross the state in one day, doing multiple different events, and it is tiresome on the body. But this is what we have to do. So I'm actually going to be throughout the entire state. There's not really a set schedule. I keep adding things as we're going because people in communities want to see me, and I say, get something together. I'll make it happen, and they can get something together within a couple of days with we're talking hundreds of people so wherever the people need me is where i'm going to be we do have other events that we're going to be rtc meetings that we're going to be at we've just launched our first ad on facebook and we're you know raising money actively so if people do want to donate they can go to my website it's rayla4ma.com that's r-a-y-l-a-f-o-r-m-a.com they can donate get involved with our campaign also follow me on facebook rayla campbell from massachusetts like follow share we're getting out there we're fighting our message is true because it is of the people and this is what we've got to keep doing it's just being boots on the ground all over the state, crisscrossing everywhere. Our whole point of this was going from P-Town to Pittsfield, and we have covered all of that territory, but we've really got to get more into the cities for all of the people that are feeling left out, and that's what we're going to be doing these last couple of weeks. It's really going to be hitting hard on all of our cities, Fall River, New Bedford, Boston, Worcester, Springfield, and also going all the way out to Pittsfield, because that's a city as well. What what seems to be the most frequently asked question that you're you're hearing while you're out talking with folks about your campaign? Are you going to get rid of the machines? That is a major thing. And they want voter ID. They real people just want hand counted ballots because, like I said, they want to believe in their elections again, and they want to have transparency. So we're going to make sure that that's exactly what we're giving the people is transparency. You can't have when you look at what's going on this whole election cycle. Question four is missing off the ballot. Vote no on all four questions. Question four is missing off of off the the um, voter. Um, the information they sent yeah, out. Yeah, the information yep. they sent out. I keep forgetting the name of it because now there's like question five and six, depending on if you're in certain towns that a lot of people didn't know of either. And those should have been on local elections. But having question four missing, where it's about driver's license for illegal immigrants, which automatically registers them to vote, which a lot of people understand that that's what it does because their children are automatically being registered to vote when they're getting their driver's license. They're not filling anything out. They're getting automatically registered. And to not be able to bring that to the people because they don't want the people to know and the people to actually have direct democracy and overturn a law that we do not agree with. But then they'll go and tell African-Americans that asking for an ID is racist, but you want to give it to illegals for free. Give me a break. You're just trying to replace Americans' votes, and you're also trying to use color of skin to divide us. We are not a divided country. We are the United States, and we are going to stand strong. She is Rayla Campbell. She is uh, your candidate, uh, Republican candidate for Secretary of State. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you so much, Kevin. Always a pleasure. You got it. We're going to step aside. When we come back, 
We'll speak with uh, Dr. Jay Baruch, author of Tornado of Life, in just a moment. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. My name is Rayla Campbell. I'm running for Secretary of State of Massachusetts. You have a clear choice in November. I don't take money from unions or special interests, and I've never had a government job. I will bring transparency, a new face with fresh ideas to the office, as opposed to the person who feels entitled to the job and is out of touch with the everyday American. I'm from here. I love it here. I will work hard for you and protect you as a voter with no apologies. I look forward to your support in November. I'm Rayla Campbell. I'm running for Secretary of State of Massachusetts, and I approve this message. McGuigan's Pub is an upscale Irish pub with all the class of a Boston pub. The menu offers favorites like steak tips, fish and chips, meatloaf, as well as burgers, sandwiches, and pizza. The relaxed, comfortable atmosphere at McGuigan's makes it the perfect place to eat, drink, and socialize with family and friends. New hours are Tuesday through Thursday, 4 to close, Friday through Sunday, 11.30 to close. McGuigan's Pub is at 546 Washington Street in Whitman with the full menu available at McGuigan'sPub.com. Hi, my name is Alex Bizantin, and I'm running for Plymouth County Commissioner. I am the former chairman of the Abington Conservation Commission, former vice chairman of the Plymouth County Advisory Board, former Abington Water Commissioner, and now serving in my second term as Abington Selectman. If you would like to learn more about my candidacy, please visit my website at alexbazanson.org or follow me on Facebook. I am Alex Bazanson for Plymouth County Commissioner, and I approve this message. His Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. All right, we are back. I will say one of the one of the favorite things about hosting this radio show are the many people that you get to talk to and interview and learn about and share with your audience. Probably the height of all the, you know, the top or the peak of all the individuals who we get to speak to are authors. It's not very often, though, that we get to speak with someone who is a doctor, somebody who works in the emergency room, someone who put pen to paper, spent all these hours writing a book and talking about his craft. Uh, joining us right now uh, is a gentleman who actually wrote a book called Tornado of Life, a doctor's journey through constraints and creativity in the ER. Joining us is Dr. Jay Baruch. I did say that correctly. Did I not, Dr.? Yes, you did. Yes, yeah, Jay. Jay's great. Jay, if you will, first uh, tell us, uh, tell folks a little bit about yourself uh, uh, as to being uh, to being a doctor. I believe you're somebody who is you're based in Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, I'm at Brown, so I'm in the Department of Emergency Medicine here at Brown. I've been an ER doc uh, practicing emergency medicine for close to thirty years. And um, I am also a writer and sort of a medical educator. Uh, my interest is, is in the role of sort of humanities and um, and medical ethics, uh, as well as the role of sort of creativity and clinical decision making. So, so some of my notes that I have here is, is the, the I guess the concept of the book is to change the view that we have in regards to doctors, illnesses, and and even emergency medicine. As as it's um, as it takes place, as it's provided, I, I would say I'd like to open the view because <laughs> I feel like there's um, there's a lot that 
the public gets um, in the media about what goes on in emergency departments, and and many of that is incredibly accurate. And um, but oftentimes it's of the sort of the the heavy bass drum variety of you know life threatening situations of a lot of drama, a lot of obvious drama and blood and mayhem. And that's obviously a, a, a part of, of, of an important part of my practice. Uh, however, a lot of it, and if not most of it, has to deal with quieter moments that are riddled with tension because we're dealing with problems that are not as obvious. Um, and like the, our neighbors come into the emergency department with not just medical problems, but social problems and and um, you know mental health problems, substance use problems, and and those stories are oftentimes complicated, and we don't necessarily talk to our patients in a way that shows you know uh, an, an interest to their stories, and and oftentimes as a result of that, we we, we miss the very things that they came to the emergency department for. Is this is this your first book that you've written, or is this one of uh, uh, several? This is my third book. It's my first book of nonfiction. I've written two previous books of short fiction um uh, i started off in and as a fiction writer and started evolving i think as as like the the tensions in medicine started growing um and i felt the urgency to to write more and more about what was going on because i I felt like what was going on in reality was actually stranger than fiction in certain ways um and so this is my first nonfiction book so this uh this basically being your memoirs where, where did the title come from how, how did it come to be and what, and what does it mean to you as the author yeah this is uh, it's years and years ago Kevin I had this um, a woman who just came to the emergency department uh, actually was brought in because she was um, sort of making the scene at the uh, getting sort of, that's sort of argument at the shelter and got kicked out and got sent into the emergency department and she's just someone who had just a series of Challenges, right? She had mental health problems and had substance use problems, had a uh, death of a, uh, a death of a loved one, um, and and like unlike so many of us who have like that safety net, if we can't hit the bottom, she didn't have that, and and it was so hard to sort of get her story, and when I finally was able to to sort of just sit with her and try to like just wait her out and 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 show her that I was interested in what she had to say. The words that came out of her mouth, one of the first words were, you know, I'm stuck in a tornado of life. And it was just so extraordinary that someone who's going through such suffering and so much pain was also capable of such poetic language, you know. And we started talking, and, and, and it just seemed like just an extraordinary metaphor for what um, a lot of us are go- uh, at, different, at different levels, uh, different types of experiences are going through. So I would ask you, you know, it's in the title, you talk, you know, journey through constraints, which means that there's, not, there's limitations. Yeah. What, what, what are some of the biggest constraints that, that you as a doctor or an emergency room doctor has to deal with uh, on a regular basis? Well, I, I, I think a lot of your listeners who visit emergency departments could probably tell you right off the bat that probably one of the biggest constraints is, is um, ER wait times, and it's oh, yeah. usually due to boarding in the hospital, right, because... Because there's a lack of staff, it's difficult getting patients out of, of hospitals, whether they get to nursing homes or just living facilities. Um, so there's like lack of beds. There's um, the the challenge of trying to 
meet people who are strangers for the first time, like you meet them for the first time, it's simply like a blind date. Um, they're coming in a moment of crisis, and you're trying to build trust um, in real time in a very quick in a very quick fashion. You're trying to understand the elements of their story in a very quick fashion. Um, you're also facing the constraints of, of sometimes you're, you're caring for patients in hallways and the lack of privacy. It's not the ideal place to like to listen to people who are going through something that is extreme and, and, and troubling and rich with anxiety. And then there's like our own personal constraints as caregivers, you know, there's um, constraints of our, of our compassion, uh, our empathy, um, our emotional constraints. So they're, they seem to be growing. <laughs> but, but does this, but, you know, even though you have the constraints, I would think that there's a positive side and they would be, it would allow for you as a doctor, if needed, to be able to work around the constraints and provide creativity when it comes to assisting somebody in medical need or, or, or some life-saving measures. Absolutely, and that's exactly right. Thank you for making that point, Kevin. Because I mean, I think the challenge is that um, oftentimes when the words like constraints or limitations are used, um, it's used in sort of with a negative connotation. And, and as you as you said, you know, like people sort of in the arts and people who are involved with sort of design thinking or um, really sometimes use constraints and the limitations of a form, say to like look at a problem differently, and to say how can we how can we approach this problem differently? Are there different types of questions we should be asking and and should we just be thinking about you know what we're doing in a, in a, in a, in a different way and become more creative and and all the time is that creative element is is it for me is oftentimes just becoming not forgetting that we're dealing with human beings and and i think what all of us want you know especially patients i see you know we in this er with full of technology i think at the very least what they would what they what they want and what patients deserve is the, the another human being <laughs> listening to their story and, and 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 dignifying their experience and what they're going through as a doctor and again if folks are just tuning in we're speaking with uh, dr jay baruch uh, author of tornado of life and we're chatting with him about about his book you know right now we look in the rearview mirror and the pandemic covid seems to be behind us what was it like for you to be in the front lines dealing with something such as a pandemic, something that we hadn't seen in a hundred years since the Spanish flu? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was not it was it was a little bit frightening, especially in the beginning when we didn't know what was going on, right. um, and we're trying to figure this whole thing out. Um, and uh, but also at that time, Kevin, like a lot of a lot of the ERs. It became empty. Like a lot of people stopped coming to the ER. The challenge became when, we, with each successive wave, when we were dealing with COVID, as well as all the problems that were sort of neglected or put off for various reasons during the last year or two, and especially now, like we're dealing with, like you know, a lot of the staff shortages. It's it's more challenging now than it actually was then. Um, in and, and just the mechanics of trying to get people through the emergency department, and our our communities are sicker. You know, they're sicker. You know, during the pandemic, substance use has, use has gone up. Um, mental health problems had risen. So we're dealing with some real system challenges that were there all along, but now they're magnified. What would you say? You know, being a doctor yourself, what do you feel that is not being taught in medical school that 
should be something that should be addressed and and taught when when doctors are you know going through the process when folks are being educated and going through uh, you know learning about you know their craft. Yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the you know one of the uh, take home points that I talk uh, talk about in the book is that you know when I. Uh, when I was in my training, like I, you know, I, I was trained well, you know, and the things that terrified me were those life-threatening situations. And, and when I finally encountered them, um, I discovered that I still was terrified, but I, I had a sense of what to do. But I, ha- I was trained well. I had the skills. I had the procedural know-how. Sometimes these problems were somewhat algorithmic and spelled out. And a lot of the challenge and the things that I was not prepared for were the elements of uncertainty and how do I adapt to those situations that we never experienced before, which is the essence of what I do because it's like no patient's the same. So I think we need more sort of creative thinking. We need more adaptability. And I think we need more focus on just the fact that patients come in telling their stories. We're so focused on science and data and that's really, really critically important. But we can't also diminish the fact that patients will communicate to us and want to share their stories. And oftentimes, when they say, like, their doctor's not listening, it's not the fact that we're not listening. Sometimes we are not listening. <laughs> we're cutting people off. But sometimes it's that we're not really listening and not hearing the story that they're trying that they're trying to tell us. And we need to be learning to ask different types of questions when we're confused rather than trying to push towards an answer. Yeah, that sounds like the, the toughest part. It isn't necessarily getting through the mayhem and the, the blood is something we may see on Grey's Anatomy, you know, on a weekly basis. But it's more, more or less trying to find out what your patient's story is and, and how to be able to address what their needs are. And these are the things that all of us deal with, right? This is not, we're not asking. I, I, what I think is so fascinating is that what patients, I think, ask for is what, our loved ones ask of us or our friends ask of us when we're going through a tough time, right? We want someone to talk to. We want someone who's going to like brood on, on our experiences and and perhaps ask us some questions and maybe provide some suggestions or lens for looking at our experiences. Um, these are very sort of human dimensions of what I think patients, at the very least, are, are asking for. Let's talk a little bit about burnout. And now I don't know if this is something that something that happens over time, or or if it's something that may have you may have seen or experienced during COVID. Talk to me about about that and dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a very real problem. Um, I you know you can't. Uh, it's hard not to read the any of the papers without seeing uh, another article about uh, about physician or nurse. Or staff burnout, or actually, other. You talked about the front lines earlier. You have to talk about people staffing our or staffing our supermarkets, and people who are on the front lines and, and other aspects of our, of our lives. And um, and so, I, I look at it this way: that there's a whole set of dimensions of what counts as burnout, from so lack of personal accomplishment to depersonalization to. Um, emotional exhaustion, not being able to accomplish our goals, or um, the, we're being limited by by the system in, 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 in ways that are critical to our moral mission as care providers. Um, but the thing is, Kevin, is that I think a lot of people get burnt down for different reasons, 
And and I don't think it's a, the arrow goes in one direction. Like I have to be very honest with you, I've been I've been burnt out, and I and I and I find and you try to find ways to burn back in. Um, you know, I don't. I think it's hard for you not to care about patients and wear your heart on your sleeve, and then not internalize the challenges um, and the limitations in the system. And so you try to find ways to sort of like how do I how do I find meaning? How do I how do I light that flame, so to speak, to to, <laughs> to invoke a, a sort of a, a cliche, um, but it works, and um, and move on and provide the best possible care you can um, for the patients that depend upon you. Jay, we just got a few minutes left uh, with you to talk talking about your book, and, and, but there's one thing I want to share with my listeners, the audience, it, that you shared with the readers, and that was your own experience. As a patient, how different it is to go from being the one treating people to being the individual who's who has to lay on the stretcher themselves. What was what was it like writing about that experience, and, and what were you going through at that time where you actually had to be treated in an ER? Yeah, there were a couple of things, Kevin. You know, one one like the first time I actually wrote about the experience, the 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 idea behind that particular piece, which is included in this in the book, is. Um, it's like everyone had like this wanted to put me I wasn't just a patient I was a physician patient and everyone expected this to be some kind of like moral like now you're going to be a better doctor or, and or just going to change the way you practice medicine and it was assumed to be in a good way um, uh, and, and I, I didn't want to be part of that like I, I, it did change me and, and it, it did it, but not necessarily in predictable ways that I talk about in the book um, but also it did it, it did sort of make me aware of sort of like the small things of being a patient, especially being a patient in the emergency department, and look at this emergency department. And go, God, what a what a busy, frightening place this can be. Um, and um, and then try to find ways to um, how do we make how do we find spaces of intimacy um, uh, for, and warmth in these uh, in these cold and and busy and high technological um, healing spaces. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us. I, I wish I could ask you more questions because I, I, I have many, many more. And normally, <laughs> when we, normally when we have an author on, you know, we usually we have a nice robust half an hour, but we, we're not affording that because we're providing uh, a voice and we're providing information to our listeners in regards to the upcoming elections just uh, yep. a little more than two weeks away. Uh, if you had 60 seconds left to uh, entice... Uh, our audience to to buy your book. You got readers out there. What would you say to them and how they can get these uh, get your book, Tornado of Life? Uh, they can get the book at you know hopefully, hopefully their bookstores and sort of online independent um, uh, venues as well as sort of um, that, that big behemoth that begins with A is also selling it. <laughs> and um, and I and I and I I, I I I hope readers. I hope your listeners will will um, will check it out because it. it, it pulls back the curtain a little bit about like what goes on in our in our minds when we're caring for patients and and they'll experience some challenges that we don't always talk about um even amongst each other but which i'm sort of bringing to the public and and i hope it i hope it honors them and i hope it respects their the experiences they're going through and what hospitals and what frontline providers are trying to do quick lightning round question here has Uh-oh. writing made you a better doctor yes i never i used to say no but yes Okay. It's me, yeah, and that's a and that's a totally other different conversation. <laughs> but yes, it absolutely has made me a better doctor. 
Well, continued success. Thank you for our conversation about your book. And uh, folks, if you're looking for a good read, uh, I I strongly suggest that you uh, go on down to uh, your bookstore and grab Tornado of Life. Uh, it's a it's a great read, and we want to thank you, Jay, for joining us. I want to thank you, Kevin, and thank you, listeners, for having me. I appreciate it. Got it. Folks, that's it for a Monday Night Talk. Uh, we uh, That's another one in the books. If you've missed any of our conversations, whether it's tonight or previous shows, those conversations can be found uh, on not only our homepage, 959WATD, by going to the podcast section, but mondaynighttalk.podbean.com. Easiest way to download and take it with you anywhere around the globe. Until next week at 6.15 p.m., have yourself a great night. <laughs>